Well, good morning. Well, you all look good. Um, if there are still a chunk of people hanging out in the hallway, so if you have space by you, if you could move in so that they could sit near you, so scoot in. Um, and there's also space in the balcony. So for those of you who are brave, you can head to the balcony. This isn't a joke, but when we took over the building, um, or when we moved in, the, the owners of the building said, we've had everything certified, everything safe. We, we haven't checked the balcony yet. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, but you're, feel free. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> Baptism Sunday, honestly, is we. I enjoy, is this, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this as a pastor, but I think I enjoy Baptism Sunday more than I enjoy Easter Sunday. Um, I, I, that might be heresy, I'm not sure. Um, please don't tell anyone I just said that. Um, but in a few minutes, six people are going to take uh, the steps into the waters of baptism and celebrate dying to the old and being raised to new life. And we build this as a central part of our worship service and not simply something we do after service or another moment because it is central to who we are as a community of celebrating new life. Um, and so I'm just so excited that all of you get to be here and share in this amazing day. But it's also, Baptism Sunday is kind of like a cross between a, a raucous party and, and a family reunion where we all come back together. And like Easter, we see some of you that we don't see that often. And, and so um, we are taking a break from our normal series, uh, the Year of Biblical Literacy, and essentially, I want to do a couple things. I want to end, I want to end today um, by talking about what I consider um, the equivalent of kofefi in the Bible. Um, <laughs> it is a word that I tried to write out so I would not mispronounce it, but I'm still going to get it wrong. I want to end today by talking about this word, anakafe lafestai. Anakafe lafestai. You could say, that, do we have it up there? That's a good... Um, Say that five times fast. On a cafe, la festai. But before I do that, before I talk to you about that really exciting word, I want to do three things. I want to give you a little update on something. I want to talk about our elders, and I want to talk about why we exist as a church. I want to continually remind us why we come together and why we exist and what our vocational calling is. Um, first, a little update. As many of you know, we have been planning to launch a morning service in Northeast D.C. for a while. And frankly, um, we've had a lot of doors end up closing um, over the past few months. I know some of you have been very excited and been ready to help us launch that. We finally at Easter, around Easter time, around, about two weeks before Easter, it seemed we had finally found the building. In fact, much to the chagrin of our team, we ended up celebrating Easter in that building like two weeks notice. We're like, we are so excited. We want to see what the space is like. The, the person who owned the building, it's owned by another denomination, the person who owned the building, um, the pastor there said, I am so confident that, that everything's going to work out, that in fact you could start just having weekly service Easter Sunday, leave all your stuff here. And I said, but do you have final approval from whoever you need? He's, no, but you know, it's, we've, it, it's a done, it, it's fine, right? And I said, well, let's wait until we get final approval. Well, anyway, long story short, uh, I got a phone call that turns out wasn't quite a done deal as we thought it was. And, and in that moment, I don't, you've, you ever had those moments where, it, like, in the middle of something, you feel so defeated, right? You've been pushing on a door, and you've been doing everything in your strength to make something work. And, and I was so defeated, and I hung up the phone. And at the second I hung up the phone, I don't know why I'm making this symbol, because now you just do this, but... 
but I hung up the, it's more dramatic to do this, I hung up the phone, maybe slammed the phone down. And the moment I hung up, I had this wave of peace come over me. And God says, you've been trying to do this in your strength. You've been trying to push doors down. I want you to step back, and I want you to pray, and I want you to ask your community to pray with you, and, and I will open the door when the time is right and the place is right, and I will do amazing things, Kevin, that you can never do through your own strength. And, and so I am just... I am excited about what God is going to do. In fact, I sent an email out to our leadership this week, um, kind of telling them a little bit of this, and immediately had a response back. Someone's like, I, you know, there's this place that I think might be right. I don't know. We're just going to take time. We're going to pray. We're going to figure this out. But I know that God is going to do something amazing. So anyway, so that's the first thing. Um, second, uh, I, I'm going to get in a little bit of the weeds uh, of how our church operates because we're going to talk about elders this morning. Uh, and so... I'm even going to read um, from the bylaws for a minute. Aren't you excited that you got up and came to church this morning? Because you know it's going to be a good Sunday when the pastor says, we're going to read from the bylaws. <laughs> I want to just tell you how our church is operated. We are essentially a staff-led church, but we don't have enough money to have a lot of staff, so we are a volunteer-led church, meaning that we try to keep our... Uh, we try to keep a very flat leadership. So we try, I try to make as few decisions as possible, and we try to keep bureaucracy as low as possible. Meaning that if you are in charge of hospitality, you decide how to do hospitality. People always come, hey, I've got this great idea for hospitality. I was like, that sounds great. You should talk to the person in charge of hospitality. Right? Like, we don't make these decisions, like, on a kind of a, a high-end level. And so... Um, we have a, a, what's called a lead team that provides leadership to our church, and then each parish has a parish leadership team that kind of filters up to this lead team, but honestly, we want to make as few decisions as possible, and we want to let people doing ministry, because there's something, there's something empowering about actually being able to do ministry and not just be, a, be told what to do, right? And so we're always, instead of like creating a box that we try to fit you into, we're trying to figure out what is God doing in your heart and then free you to do that. Um, and so we have a lead team, and then we have a board of trustees, and for lack of better word, um, the Board of Trustees is a corporate board. Right? They approve budgets. They make sure that we're not embezzling money. Um, and then we have an outside board of accountability, um, an outside board of accountability, which is three individuals, three pastors who aren't part of our church. Um, one of them is Jonathan Martin, who you've uh, heard preach a few times. And um, they, are, they provide kind of outside oversight. And if I were to ever do anything stupid or anything were to ever happen to me, that group would come into the church. They would kind of walk the church through selecting a new pastor or removing me. The other group that we have is, is the board of elders. And, and the reason I'm going through all this, because you, you all grew up in like a million different church traditions. Um, and um, we all have different things that we attach to words. And in our church, elders are not a governing body, but they are a spiritual body. They are to provide the spiritual leadership to our church, and they provide checks and balances to how we operate. So, for example, if I were to do anything dumb um, that would require me being removed, the elders would contact the Board of Accountability, and they would work together to figure out the next steps. Does that make sense? So I want to read to you the roles and responsibilities of the elders, and the reason I'm telling you all this, maybe I should have led with this, maybe Jess said this, I wasn't paying attention. Um, <laughs> anyway... Um, uh, the reason I'm, uh, I should have led with, we're nominating three new elders today. We want to have four elders for each of our parishes, um, and so currently we have five elders, and we want to have eight elders. And so you're going to have an opportunity to nominate three elders today, 
Um, there's a slip on your seat. You can fill that slip out. There's a brown box in the back um, in the lobby. You can drop that in. Along, if you staple a check to the ballot, it, your vote counts for more. Um, that's a joke. Um, put it in the offering box, though. There's a brown box. You can stuff your ballot in. Also, we have a website, thetablechurch.org forward slash nominate. Um, that's the easiest way to go on. But, but what I want you to do, as you're, as you're thinking about who you want to nominate to be an elder, I want to kind of give you an idea of, of what these people do so you can be praying about it. And we're going to leave this open, the nomination process, all throughout the month of June, so you don't have to decide today. But here's what our bylaws say. The elders are to covenant together with the congregation and the lead pastor for the development of the spiritual life of the church. These men and women are to be primary protectors and encouragers of a positive spiritual climate within the church body. Some of the responsibilities are to maintain and teach by living a godly Christian lifestyle, to pray for the pastoral team in the local church, to defend, protect, and support the integrity of the pastoral team and the local church, to pray for the sick, to organize and implement licensing and ordination, to mediate disputes, disputes among the congregation, and to confirm or reject pastoral appointments to the Board of Trustees or the Pastoral Board of Accountability, and to contact the Board of Accountability to initiate an investigation and potential discipline of the lead pastor. There, there's some fun bylaws. So, um, today you're going to have an, uh, an opportunity to nominate um, someone, people to serve as your elders. And what I want you to ask yourself as you are nominating someone is who in this congregation lives a life that you think just oozes Christ, right? When they walk into a room, you just feel as if someone who lives so differently than everyone else is in that room, right? They, they, they so model what it means to live like Christ. They so model the love of Christ that, that you want to, to live in that same way. Um, you want to nominate the person that when you are in the hospital, you want them coming to pray for you. You want to nominate the person that when you are sitting around, uh, when you are going through a rough time and you need to talk to someone, that's the person you want to join you. Because right? the thing is, when you're going through a rough time and you come talk to me, I want to tell you like a solution and I want to fix it. And if you don't do it now, I get agitated and I'm just terrible at counseling. You don't want to nominate me as, as the, for, this, for this elders board because you want the people who, they just have a gift of caring. Um, because their role and responsibility is to partner with the leadership in caring. And I'll tell you, I've we're four years old as a church and I've gone through my own journey in leadership and how I lead and, and I'm constantly growing. But one of the things we did early on um, was we, we tried to get crap done, right? And so like it was just about getting people to do coffee and do band or whatever. And we did an all church survey and one of the things that came out of it was people said, like, I don't really feel like anyone is investing in me, that anyone is caring for me in a, a pastoral role. And, and I took that personally because partially, like, I understand, I, I, I tend to be just, that isn't my strongest gifting. And so as a team, we begin to ask this question, we begin to ask, how do we make sure that every person in our church is cared for and pastored well? And so if you're in a community group, your community group leader is one of your pastors. And if you're on a, a worship, if you're on the worship team or hospitality, we want you to be cared for and pastored and prayed for. I want you, if you are on a team at the table church, I want you to know that every week, every day that someone is praying for you and someone is caring for you and someone is, is helping you become the, the person that God created you to be. But the people that kind of partner with us in this pastoral role and helping you become the people that God created you to be are, is the board of elders. And so anyway, you're going to have an opportunity to nominate elders today. Here's the verse um, from Titus chapter 1 that kind of gives you an overview of the biblical role. 
elders should be without fault. I don't, that seems like a slightly high bar. Um, but it's the Bible. Elders should be without fault. They should be faithful to their spouse and have faithful children who can't be accused of self-indulgence or rebelliousness. This is because supervisors should be without fault to, as God's managers, and they shouldn't be stubborn or irritable or addicted to alcohol or a bully or greedy. Instead, they should show hospitality and love what is good and be reasonable and ethical and godly and self-controlled. And they must pay attention to the reliable message as it has been taught to them so that they can encourage people with healthy instruction and refute those who speak against it. So um, you're going to have the opportunity to nominate on your seat, tablechurch.org forward slash nominate. We're going to keep this open to the end of, no, our end of June, and then at the end of June, we'll go through the process of officially installing and all that good stuff. If you have questions, um, comments, you can always email me, kevin at thetabledc.org, um, or you can email feedback at thetabledc.org if you have questions, comments, complaints. Um, if you have complaints, send them to jessica at thetabledc.org. I'm so... Only I was kidding. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to see who God raises up. Have we introduced our current elders? No. Okay, current elders, can you please stand so that we can recognize you and so people know who you are? In the front, we have Jocelyn. In, in the back there, we have Amanda. In the very back, we have TJ. Over in the right, we have Becky, and up here in the front, we have Brian. These are your elders. These, the, uh, who am, I, am I forgetting someone? I said jo I started with Jocelyn. She's number one. Pay attention, Amanda. <laughs> okay, you all may see it. Thank you so much. And these are your elders, um, and we want to add, but if, honestly, if there's, like, you want someone to pray with you, want someone just to talk with, whatever that might be, these elders are here to care for you. Um, okay, Next. Each church has a specific, I'm going to go fast. I might talk a little fast today, but it's a little warm in here, and really I'm not the main event, but I, I have some things I really want to say to us. Every church has a specific vocational calling, the thing that God has placed, uh, the calling that God has placed in our community. There is a million churches in D.C. Not a million, but there's a lot of churches in D.C. And in each, God, I think on each church, God has placed a special vocational calling, and we believe that we exist for a specific reason. And that reason that we exist is to call people to become authentic and thoughtful followers of Jesus. Like that, to call people to God, to call people to become followers of Jesus is core to why we exist. And I'll be honest, when I planted the church, I think I wanted to see a church that had like great theology, and we did music better than anyone else, and all these things kind of like, I don't know, that my my prideful, selfish person wanted. I wanted you to have the best sermons ever. And then I preached the first time and realized that's never going to happen. And so, and so I think my conversion of who I wanted us to be as a community came um, the first baptism service we ever had. It was Easter Sunday. Combined two of my favorites into one. Um, it was Easter Sunday. And at, we, we always will do a baptism video and then we will then we'll baptize. And as the first person went into the water and came out and we celebrated and hooped and hollered as a community, celebrated someone dying to the old and being raised to a new life in Christ, a life of purpose and amazing potential, I just broke down and started blubbering like a baby. And in that moment, I thought, I want, I want to dedicate, 
I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to call people to be followers of Jesus and to die to the past, the things that have held them captive, so that they can be freed to what God has in store for them. And so as a church, we begin to kind of change how we do some things. So the, the, the core of who we are is we want to call you to become a follower of Jesus. And some of you are on the fence because you were given a bad picture of Jesus either by someone you knew growing up or maybe by a pastor or maybe a family member. And, and, and you are afraid to take the plunge into the waters of baptism because you've had a really negative view placed on you. But I guarantee you, if I asked you why, what your problem is with God or with the church, I could rephrase it. What is their name? And you could almost to a one tell me the name. And so if you are on the fence, and some of you, right, it, it might not be that. Some of you, you've just made other things more important in your life. It's prestige or money or power or whatever that thing is. And if, I just want to encourage you that following Jesus is the greatest decision you will ever make with your life. And if you are on the fence, I urge you to allow yourself to step into the waters of baptism. And here's the thing. Following Jesus is not for perfect people. In fact, perfect people don't need Jesus, right? Because they are so, they. Perfect people, if you think you've got it all together, Jesus is of no use to you. This is why we always say when you come to the table that it is a means of grace and that the only thing that we require is that you see yourself as a need of God's grace because if you see yourself as someone who does not need the grace of God, Jesus is useless to you. But to the rest of us, I invite you I urge you to take a step into the waters of baptism to become a follower of Jesus. See, here's the thing I believe. Here's the thing I believe, that, that in the olden days, and by that I mean when I was like in high school, in the olden days, in the olden days, ever, there was this thing called apologetics. We always want to make a philosophical, and a, a, a philosophical or scientific proof, like does God exist? And so all the books that we'd like get put, uh, were given to us as, in youth group were about like proofs for God. No one ever asked me, can we, no one ever asked me, can we prove God anymore? For the, the new apologetic, the thing that proves God is whether they see God, whether we as a community reflect the love of God, right? Are we, are we living the truth we proclaim? Because we live in a world of fake news and fake everything else. And the question, we are the most, particularly millennials, you are the most skeptical group of people ever because you've been marketed to your whole life and you can see BS from a mile away. And the only thing, the only thing that is attractive and calls people to Jesus today is people they authentically see living as followers of Jesus and living what they say they believe. So number one, we want you to follow Jesus. One other thing I want to say. I totally, I got lost. Faith is not about having, I got, I got so excited. Faith is not about being perfect. Here's the thing. You take a leap of faith into the dark. Obedience comes afterwards. It, 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 faith leads to obedience. Having faith is not having everything worked out or like totally having it all figured out in your head. Faith is not having it all figured out and instead leaping into the waters of baptism anyway. Faith leads to obedience. Number two, we want you to grow in community. Christianity has always been a communal religion. You become who you are in relation, in context, or in relation to who you are around. Right? The people who you are with shape who you become. 
And this is why we gather every week as a church and where we sing songs and hear the word proclaimed because there's something powerful that happens when we come together as the people of God and sing. In fact, scientifically, when people sing, their hearts begin to beat at the same rate. We literally become one as we sing praise to God. It's this powerful thing. But, the, but, then, but then we come together as one and then we split up during the week in, into tiny cramped basement apartments that smell a bit like mildew and we sit around and we eat crackers and drink stale beer. I don't know if that's the thing. But anyway, we, we, I'm gluten intolerant or I have celiac, so I don't know. Anyway, so you sit around in the basement and, the, and you, you do life together. And we hope that you develop such authentic and intimate community that the people that you are in a community group with have permission to ask you deep questions about who you are and who you're becoming. They have permission to ask you, how's your prayer life going? Are you reading scripture in the way, are you reading scripture in a way that it's shaping and forming who you're becoming? That they have permission to ask you about the way you're spending your time and your money. See, this is just for free, but if God doesn't have your calendar or your wallet, God doesn't have your life. Yeah, there's a verse in um, Psalms 11, 24, and 25. It's just, I've been really meditating on it lately. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. The, the, the way you spend your time and your resources shape who you become. And if everything you're doing in life is spent, if all your resources, time and energy, are spent on yourself, you are living for yourself and you're not living for Christ. It's impossible to. And so to be in an intimate community where people can call you on who you're becoming and ask you deep questions is so important to who you become. So we want you to grow in community. The third thing is, we want you to discover the reason that God put you on this planet. If your walk with Jesus becomes all about you and Jesus, it will become stale and you will become a, a spiritual narcissist. Right? Some people are walking around spiritually dead because all they want is for themselves to grow. Everything they're talking about, am I growing with Jesus and how in Jesus am I doing? And if that becomes your, your complete focus, it will become stale. You were created for a purpose. The gospel always calls us outside ourselves. And so as a table, we believe that, that the church is never meant to look like the pastor, but it should look like the gifts of the community. Ephesians 4 says it this way. He gave some apostles the gifts of being apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. And his purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. And then I think this is fascinating. He says, until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son, because God's goal for us is to become mature adults, to become fully grown, measured by the standard of fullness in Christ. Right? The way we serve is, the way that we use our gifts, the way we serve is attached to our spiritual growth and maturity. And too often we think we can just come and consume spirituality and that we will become more like Jesus. But unless you are engaged in living into your purpose, you will never fully experience the fullness that Christ has for you. Paul doubles down. And this is a bit of a long passage, but I just, like, as I read it, I just knew I had to read it this morning. Paul doubles down on the importance of each member, of uh, the giftedness of each member in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what he says. Christ is just like the human body. And Christ, or and Paul has laid out earlier that we are all united as one. Like, as the followers of Jesus, we are Christ's body. We, are, we become Christ's body on earth. 
So Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one, and even though, though there are many, we were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Look, we could go on and say whether you are male or female, Republican and Democrat, or rural or urban, or gay or straight, right? You fill in the thing that, that everyone else says must divide us. And God says, we become one in Christ. And then he continues, certainly the body isn't one part but many. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not a part of the body? This is kind of funny passage. If the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, does that mean it's not a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of these parts in the body just like he wanted. There is someone sitting here in this room who wishes that you had a different gifting, that wishes you had a different purpose. And Paul is saying, no, God has given you that gift and that calling for a reason. He has you just like he wants you. And then he continues on. If we were all one in the same body part, what would happen to the body? Um, there are many parts. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other. One of the things I believe in it, so strongly, and I see this happen over and over, is that the purpose you were created for, you often don't realize until you're in the context of community because your gift needs a complementary gift. Right? And so when somebody else is living into the calling that God has placed in their lives, and then you two come together in relationship and community, all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is what I was created to do. But before you were in community with someone who had a complementary gift, you never fully became who you were created to be. Right? So Paul says, look, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and turn the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But then listen to this. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones that we honor most. The private parts of the body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity, and the parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor so that there won't be division in the body and so that it, the parts might have mutual concern for each other. There, is, there are people in this room who you felt for your whole life like the gift you brought or who you were didn't matter. You felt shame maybe about your past, maybe it's your sexuality, whatever the thing might be, and you felt excluded from the body. You felt you couldn't preach or you couldn't sing or whatever the, the there's a few gifts in the church that really get celebrated and the rest of the gifts are kind of seen as lesser than. But Paul says to those, says no, those of you who, who've too long been given the least amount of honor, you're the most important part. Or we say at the table when you go through our intro class, like everyone at the table is a 10 in something. There is something you do better than anyone else here and that everyone is a minister and that every gifting is of equal importance. Some of us get to stand on stage and get accolades 
but the person who is opening the door or creating co or serving coffee or whatever the things that each of us do, they are all of equal value. In fact, the things that we see as less honorable are actually the most honorable. The things that we see as weakness, the things that we see as weakness are actually our greatest strengths. And then Paul ends with this, or we end this passage with this. If one part of the body suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part gets the glory, all parts celebrate it with it. This is why we need community. We need someone to celebrate our wins and someone to cry with us and wipe our tears during the darkest moments of our lives. And we are one, and so when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And when one of us gets glory, we all are part of it. That's why when someone's baptized, like this is all of our celebration. We are all helped make this happen. Finally, go. Right, we, wanna, we want you to follow Jesus. We want you to um, grow in community. We want you to discover your purpose. But then we want you to go into the world as an agent of God's love and God's grace, serving both the church and God's world. And our church is based on the gifts of our community and all the things we do. The people who are stepping into the waters of baptism today are not because of the great work that I have done, but it's because of the great work and the investment that so many of you have made. We are one in Christ. Okay, here's where I want to end. I'm almost done. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, he says this. He said, with all wisdom and insight, he, being God, Christ, has made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, that thing that brings him joy, according to his pleasure that he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Right? This is the thing, what Paul's saying, this is the thing, this is God's plan, this is the thing that brings God joy. As a plan for the fullness of time, to gather all things in him, to gather all things in Christ, to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. And what is translated as gather up in, or gathered up, is a fun word that I introduced at the beginning. Anakafe lafestai. Anakafe lafestai. Which means to bring back together under one head, or to bring to a point, to take all these various things and to bring him to one point. And Paul's saying, this is what Christ is up to in the world. This is what brings God joy. But this word, this word actually only appears once in the Bible, but we find meaning outside of Scripture. It's sometimes used as a mathematics term, right, to add everything up. But the word is also translated recapitulate. And another way to say recapitulate is to retell. There has been a story that has been told a certain way from a certain perspective through a certain lens, but then when you retell it, you recapitulate it, you tell the story in a different way. Is this making sense? And when you tell, retell a story, when you retell a story, when you retell something from your life, you don't remove the dark spots, the nasty spots, right? So for example, the, the author, I read one author who uses the example of going on a camping trip. And he said, when you go on a camping trip, and everything goes wrong, right? Like you get there, and right as you're starting to set up the tent, you realize you don't have all the poles, and it begins to rain as you're setting it up, and then you realize that there is a hole in the top of your tent, and then you put out your ice chest, and the raccoons steal all the meat during the middle of the evening, and on and on and on. It is the worst weekend of your life. But five years later, when you and your friends are sitting around retelling that story, 
the darkest parts of that story actually become the, what make it a great story. Right? So when you retell it five years later, it's not just sprinkling, but it was a hurricane. And so here you are setting up the tent in a hurricane, and the raccoons didn't just eat the, eat the hamburger out of the ice chest. They actually ate your cat, right? So you, like, you emphasize the darkness, the worst camping trip ever. The things that were the worst are not what make it miserable, but when you retell the story later, it's what makes it great. What were once the worst parts of the story in its retelling become the best parts. And according to Paul, in this really weird and long word, that God is retelling everything. God is retelling everything. It is what brings God joy. God is uniting the fractured and broken pieces of our life and of our world and bringing it all back together in unity. And as he does this, he is retelling it. And listen to me, those of you who decide to take the plunge and to follow Jesus, God is retelling your story. What were once the worst parts, the darkest parts, your moments of failure, your moments of embarrassment, the job loss, or the relationship that shattered, or whatever that thing is that is the darkest moment, God is making them the best parts of your story. And God isn't just removing the pain or the darkness or the brokenness. Instead, he tells your story, retells your story on the other side of the cross and on the other side of baptism. And what was your greatest weakness becomes your greatest strength. On the other side of the cross, we can look back and see that God is making something beautiful out of the fragments and the brokenness. God is retelling our story. Going back to Paul's earlier words in 1 Corinthians, the part of the community, and I would say the part of your story that you see as weak, that you see as less than presentable, that's the most powerful thing about you. So remember this, that God in Christ is bringing all things back together. And if you will let him, God wants to retell your story. In just a moment, six members of our community are going to come forward and be baptized into one body through the water of baptism. And as they enter the water of baptism, their story is still being retold. Now, baptisms here at the table are a big deal because not only are people saying, I am becoming a part of God's family, but I am becoming a part of this family. And so as these six walk to the waters of baptism and as they are dunked and as they as they die to the old and are raised to new life, I need you to act as if your team just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> because what is taking place is even greater than winning the Super Bowl. This is the most exciting moment. I mean, I want you to hoop and holler and scream. Standing ovations are welcome. If you've got a little charismatic in you, you can run the aisles, whatever it is. <laughs> and through baptism... You die to the old, and you are raised to new life in Christ. And so as we prepare to enter the water, I want to say a prayer of blessing. So would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of water. Over it, your spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and into the promised land. In it, your son, Jesus, received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as Messiah. Through your life, death, and resurrection, and from the bondage of sin and death into everlasting life. 
We thank you, Father, for the gift of water, for the gift of baptism. We thank you that through the water that we are buried with you and that in it we share in your resurrection. And so I pray that as, as these six go underneath the water that they are reborn by the Spirit and to new life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.